This is John W. Whitehead, author of Battlefield America, The War on the American People, bringing you a message about the state of our nation. It used to be that if you talked back to a teacher or played a prank on a classmate or just failed to do your homework, you might find yourself in detention or doing an extra writing assignment after school. Of course, that was before school shootings became a part of our national lexicon. Nowadays, as a result of the government's profit-driven campaign to keep the nation safe from drugs, weapons, and terrorism, students are not only punished for minor transgressions such as playing cops and robbers on the playground, or bringing Legos to school, or having a food fight, but they're being punished with suspension, expulsion, and even arrest. Welcome to Compliance 101, folks. The police station's primer and how to turn out compliant citizens and transform the nation's schools into quasi-prisons through the use of surveillance cameras, metal detectors, police patrols, zero-tolerance policies, lockdowns, drug-sniffing dogs, strip searches, and active shooter drills. Sadly, these police state tactics have not made the schools any safer. Rather, they've turned the schools into authoritarian microcosms of the police state, containing almost every aspect of the militarized, intolerant, senseless, overcriminalized, legalistic, surveillance-riddled, totalitarian landscape that plagues those of us on the outside of the school system. If your child is fortunate enough to survive his encounter with a public school, you should count yourself fortunate. But most students are not so lucky. From the moment A child enters one of the nation's 98,000 public schools to the moment he or she graduates, they will be exposed to a steady diet of draconian, zero-tolerance policies that criminalize childish behavior, overreaching anti-bullying statutes that criminalize speech, school resource officers, also known as police, tasked with disciplining and arresting so-called disorderly students, standardized testing that emphasizes rote answers over critical thinking, politically correct mindsets that teach young people to censor themselves and those around them, and extensive biometric surveillance systems that acclimate young people to a world in which they have no freedom of thought, speech, or movement. Indeed, by the time the average young person in America finishes their public school education, nearly one out of every three of them will have been arrested, believe that or not. More than 3 million students are suspended or expelled from school every year, often for minor misbehavior, such as disruptive behavior, as they call it, or insubordination. Black students are three times more likely than white students to face suspension and expulsion. Zero-tolerance policies that were intended to make schools safer, as they told us, by discouraging the use of actual drugs and weapons by students, have turned students into suspects to be treated as criminals by school officials and law enforcement alike while criminalizing childish behavior. For example, a nine-year-old was sent to the principal's office and threatened with suspension after school officials discovered that one of his Legos was holding a two-inch gun. David Morales, an eight-year-old Rhode Island student, ran afoul of his school's zero-tolerance policies after he wore a hat to school decorated with an American flag and tiny plastic army figures in honor of American troops. 
School officials actually declared the hat out of bounds because the toy soldiers were carrying miniature guns. A seven-year-old New Jersey boy, described by school officials as a nice kid and a good student, was reported to the police and charged with possessing an imitation firearm after he brought a toy Nerf-style gun to school. A high school sophomore was suspended for violating the school's no-cell phone policy after he took a call from his father, a master sergeant in the U.S. Army who was serving time in Iraq. A 12-year-old New York student was jerked out of school in handcuffs for doodling on her desk with an erasable marker. In Houston, an 8th grader was suspended for wearing rosary beads to school in memory of her grandmother. The school has a zero-tolerance policy against the rosary, which the school insists can be interpreted as a sign of gang involvement. Six-year-old Cub Scout Zachary Christie was sentenced to 45 days in reform school after bringing a camping utensil to school that can serve as a fork, knife, or spoon. Even imaginary weapons, such as hand-drawn pictures of guns, pencils twirled in a threatening manner, imaginary bullets and arrows, even fingers positioned like guns, can also land a student in detention. Equally outrageous, believe it or not, was a case in New Jersey where several kindergartners were suspended from school for three days for playing a make-believe game of cops and robbers during recess and using their fingers as guns. With the distinctions between student offenses erased, all offenses expellable, we now find ourselves in the midst of what Time magazine described as a national crackdown on Alka-Seltzer. Students have actually been suspended from school for possession of the fizzy tablets in violation of zero-tolerance drug policies. Students, folks, have also been penalized for such inane crimes as bringing nail clippers to school, using Listerine or scope, and carrying fold-out combs that resemble switchblades. Believe it or not, a 13-year-old boy in Manassas, Virginia, who accepted a search breath mint from a classmate, was actually suspended and required to attend drug awareness classes. While a 12-year-old boy, who said he brought powdered sugar to school for a science project, was charged with a felony for, for possessing a look-alike drug. Believe it or not, acts of kindness or in just engaging in childish behavior can also result in suspensions. One 13-year-old was given detention for exposing the school to liability, quote-unquote, by sharing his lunch with a hungry friend. A third grader was suspended for shaving her head in sympathy for a friend who had lost her hair to chemotherapy. And then there was the high school senior who was suspended for saying, bless you, after a fellow classmate sneezed. In South Carolina, where it's against the law to disturb a school, more than a 1,000 students a year, such as some as young as 7 years old, face criminal charges for not following directions, loitering, cursing, or the vague allegation of acting obnoxiously. If charged as adults, they can be held in jail for up to 90 days. Another 12-year-old was handcuffed and jailed after he stomped in a puddle, splashing classmates. Things get even worse when you add police to the mix. Thanks to a combination of media hype, political pandering, and financial incentives, the use of armed police officers, also known as school resource officers, to patrol school hallways has risen dramatically in the years since the Columbine shooting. What this means, as one journalist writes in Mother Jones, is greater police involvement in routine discipline matters that principals and parents used to address without involvement 
from law enforcement officers. Funded by the U.S. Department of Justice, these school resource officers, or SROs as they are called, have become de facto wardens in the elementary, middle, and high schools, doling out their own brand of justice to the so-called criminals in their midst with the help of tasers, pepper spray, batons, and brute force. As a result, students are not only being ticketed, fined, and sent to court for behavior perceived as defiant, disruptive, or disorderly, such as spraying perfume and rotting on a desk, but they're also finding themselves subjected to police tactics such as handcuffs, leg shackles, tasers, and excessive force for acting up, as it's called. In fact, police are more and more stepping in to deal with minor rule-breaking in the schools, such as sagging pants, disrespectful comments, and brief physical skirmishes. What previously might have resulted in a detention or a visit to the principal's office is now replaced with excruciating pain. The horror stories are legion. One SRO, or cop, is accused of punching a 13-year-old student in the face for cutting into the cafeteria line. That same cop put another student in a chokehold a week later, allegedly knocking the student unconscious and causing a brain injury. In Pennsylvania, a student was tasered after ignoring an order to put his cell phone away. On any given day when school is in session, kids who act up in class are pinned face down on the floor, locked in dark closets, tied up with straps, bungee cords, and duct tape, handcuffed, leg shackled, tasered, or otherwise restrained, immobilized, are placed in solitary confinement in order to bring them under control, as we are told. Indeed, roughly 1,500 kids are tied up or locked down every day by school officials in the United States. At least 500 students are locked up in some form of solitary confinement every day, whether it be a padded closet, a duffel bag, and in many cases, parents are rarely notified when such methods are used. In almost every case, these undeniably harsh methods are used to punish kids for simply failing to follow directions or if they're throwing a tantrum. Very rarely do these kids pose any credible danger to themselves or others. For example, a four-year-old Virginia preschooler was handcuffed, leg shackled, and transported to the sheriff's office after reportedly throwing blocks and climbing on top of the furniture. School officials claim the restraints were necessary to protect the adults from injury. A six-year-old kindergarten student in a Georgia public school was handcuffed, transported to the police station, and charged with simple battery of a schoolteacher and criminal damage to property for throwing a temper tantrum at school. Unbelievably, these tactics are all legal, at least when employed by school officials or school resource officers in the nation's public schools. According to a ProPublica investigative report, such harsh punishments are part of a widespread phenomenon plaguing school districts across America. Indeed, this is a local story everywhere. It's in your community, folks. It's happening in my town. It's happening in your town. It's happening in every school district in America. This is the end product of all those so-called school safety policies, which run the gamut from zero-tolerance policies that punish all infractions harshly to surveillance cameras, metal detectors, random searches, drug-sniffing dogs, school-wide lockdowns, active shooter drills, and militarized police officers. Mind you, this is all part of the government's plan, in my opinion, to harden the schools. What exactly does hardening the school entail? More strident zero-tolerance policies, 
greater numbers of school cops, and all the trappings of a prison complex with unsurmountable fences, entrapment areas, no windows or trees, and so on. Schools are acting like prisons. School officials are acting like wardens. And students are treated like inmates and punished like hardened criminals. Even in the face of parental outrage, lawsuits, legislative reforms, investigative reports, and endless cases showing that these tactics are not working and should never have been used for punishment or discipline by full-grown adults, police officers, and teachers alike, they insist that the reason they continue to handcuff, lock up, and restrain these little kids is because they fear for their safety and the safety of others. Fear for one's safety by school officials and police is a sad excuse for behavior that should be inexcusable on behalf of adults. Dig a little deeper and you'll find that the fear of one's safety explanation covers a multitude of sins, whether it's poorly trained police officers who shoot first and ask questions later, or school officials who are ill-equipped to deal with the children who act like children, meaning they don't always listen, they sometimes throw tantrums, and they have a hard time sitting still. Unfortunately, advocates for such harsh police tactics and weaponry like to trot out the line that school safety should be our first priority lest we find ourselves with another Sandy Hook. What they will not tell you is that such shootings are rare. As one congressional report found, the schools are, generally speaking, safe places for children. In their zeal to crack down on guns and lock down the schools, these cheerleaders for police state tactics in the schools also fail to mention the lucrative multi-million dollar deals being cut with the military contractors such as Taser International to equip these school cops with tasers, tanks, rifles, and $100,000 shooting detection systems. Indeed, the transformation of hometown police departments into extensions of the military has been mirrored in the public schools, where school police have been gifted with high-powered M16 rifles, MRAP armored vehicles, grenade launchers, and other military gear. Believe it or not, one Texas school district even boasts its own 12-member SWAT team. According to one law review article on the school-to-prison pipeline, and I'm quoting here, Many school districts have formed their own police departments, some so large they rival the forces of major United States cities in size. For example, the safety division in New York City's public schools is so large that if it were a local police department, it would be the fifth largest police force in the country. Did you hear that, folks? It would be the fifth largest police force in the country. What does all this say? The ramifications are far-reaching. Take the term school-to-prison pipeline, for example. It refers to a phenomenon in which children are, who are suspended or expelled from school have a greater likelihood of ending up in jail. As if it weren't bad enough that the nation's schools have come to resemble prisons, the government is also contracting with private prisons to lock up our young people for behavior that once would have merited a stern lecture. Nearly 40% of those young people who are arrested will serve time in a private prison where the emphasis is on making profits for large megacorporations above all else. This profit-driven system of incarceration has also given rise to a growth in juvenile prisons and financial incentives for jailing our young people. Indeed, Young people have become easy targets for the private prison industry, which profits from criminalizing childish behavior and jailing our young people. For example, 
Two Pennsylvania judges made headlines when it was revealed that they have been conspiring with two businessmen in a $2.6 million Kids for Cash scandal that resulted in more than 2,500 children being found guilty and jailed for in-profit private prisons. So what's the answer, not only for the here and now, the children growing up in these quasi-prisons, but for the future of America? Peter Gray, a professor of psychology at Boston College, has said that the school is a prison that is damaging our kids, and that's hard to disagree with, especially with the numbers of police officers being assigned to schools being on the rise. Clearly, the pathology that characterizes the American police state has now passed down to our schools. Now, in addition to the government and its agents viewing the citizenry as suspects to be probed, poked, pinched, tasered, searched, seized, stripped, and generally mis- handled and manhandled, all with the general blessings of the courts, our children now in the public schools are also fair game. Instead of raising up a generation of freedom fighters, however, we seem to be busy churning out newly minted citizens of the American police state who are being taught the hard way what it means to comply, fear, and march in lockstep with the government's dictates. After all, how do you convince a child who has been routinely handcuffed, shackled, tied down, locked up, and immobilized by government officials, all before he reaches the age of adulthood, that he has any rights at all, let alone the right to challenge wrongdoing, resist oppression, and defend himself against injustice? Most of all, how do you persuade a fellow American that the government works for him when for most of his young life he has been incarcerated in an institution that teaches young people to be obedient, and compliant citizens who do not talk back, don't question, and don't challenge authority? What can be done about all this crazy stuff? Without a doubt, change is needed. But it will mean taking on the teachers' unions, the school unions, the educators' associations, and the police unions, not to mention the politicians dependent on their votes, and all the corporations that profit mightily from an industrial school complex. As we've seen with other issues, any significant reform will have to start locally and trickle up. That means getting involved in your government, folks, locally. As I point out in my book, Battlefield America, The War on the American People, with every school police raid and overzealous punishment that is carried out in the name of school safety, the lesson being imparted is that Americans, especially young people, have no rights at all against the state or the police. The time has come. We've got to do something. If we do not rein in the police state's influence in the schools, the future to which we are sending our children will be characterized by a brutal, totalitarian regime. The Rutherford Institute is doing its part to push back against the police state and make the government play by the rules of the Constitution. But we can't fight these battles alone. To join the resistance, visit our website at www.rutherford.org and check out our library of thought-provoking commentaries, legal resources, and so much more. Subscribe to our email alerts and I will send you my weekly commentary, Rutherford press alerts, and a weekly rundown of pertinent headlines and news articles to keep you apprised of the growing threats to our freedoms. And finally, if you are able, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to the Rutherford Institute by again visiting us online at www.rutherford.org or donate using PayPal. Your donation allows the Rutherford Institute to push back against the government's power grabs, corruption, and ongoing assaults on the Constitution. Together, we can make America free again.